Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ever since she was shooting baskets on a milk crate in the projects of Philadelphia, Dawn Staley has been focused on proving her value on the court. And from the University of Virginia to Team USA to the WNBA, Staley did exactly that. Her quiet yet relentless approach to the game, not her mouth, did all the talking. And when her playing career was over, she shifted this approach to the bench, most recently guiding the University of South Carolina to their first national title. But what's next? How do you approach winning when you've already won everything? How do you keep winning? How do you maintain that focus while also try to enjoy what you have while you have it? Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Allison Glock as we talk about where Don Staley goes from here. Now we present A New Dawn by Allison Glock. Don Staley drives her Jeep with a purpose. Old school R&B playing from the stereo, WB1 on the license plate, windows down, the thick southern air of South Carolina swirling through. She screams into her reserve spot at the Women's Gamecocks building, recently renovated in happy creams and classy glass, parks and hops from the vehicle, slinging a handbag over her petite five-foot-six, she-wishes, friend's joke, frame, and loping toward basketball HQ, knees buckling inward like broken sticks. Inside, down the hall, past hagiographic portraits of Staley and trophy cases holding some of her SEC and tournament bounty, sits her University of South Carolina office. The commodious space is lined with windows along one side, the view partially obscured by no fewer than 18 basketballs. Behind her desk, a table displays more memorabilia, including a slew of hand forms, their metal fingers stacked with various championship rings, some unadorned for now. There are also photos. Staley with former President Barack Obama, his arms clasped warmly around her shoulder, Staley mugging with Gamecock star forward and local hero Asia Wilson. Staley mouth agape after coaching South Carolina to the 2017 NCAA title. On a neighboring wall, her three Olympic jerseys hang side by side in frames. USA, USA, USA. Amidst it all, a riot of lilies. My mother passed away seven months ago from Alzheimer's, explains Staley, who is 47. They were her favorite flower. Staley notes her parents were from South Carolina. Her father died in 2006 from an illness, a connection that tipped her toward Gamecock's country. She gently pushes one of the vases she buys every month in remembrance a few inches to the left, then shuffles to her couch and takes a seat, her five-month-old Havanese puppy, Champion, trotting behind and curling at her sneakered feet. The dog is a new and unexpected addition to her life, and anyone hoping to meet Staley meets Champ first. He scampers ahead, sniffs you out. During practices, he chews the plastic cones set out for drills, running loose and making general doggy mischief. He is often tailed by Hayes, the toddler son of the Gamecocks director of recruiting operations. In the early days of Staley's now decade-long South Carolina tenure, there were no dogs on the court. No kids, either. The vibe was strict, intentional. Staley, a woman needing to prove herself. The championship changed that. Time, too. Staley has at last settled in, adjusted. As a point guard, you figure out whose buttons to push and when to push, when to pull back, she says of her former position. I kind of lost those qualities when I started. I hit the ground running. It was like 
yo, we have to be successful. And this is how we need to be successful. Staley pauses to stroke champ's fur. He's softened me. Soft is not a word Staley particularly likes. I get a lot of help around here, she says wanly, gesturing to the coaching staff outside of her office. Assistance that makes her uncomfortable. I don't want to get in the mode of having help every which way I turn. I think it weakens you, and I don't ever want to be looked at as being weak, Staley says, as she flashes a look of moderate disgust, her eyes narrowing. To grow as a person, you have to make yourself uncomfortable. Staley is suspicious of easy. She feels in her gut that effort rewards, laziness kills, and discipline is the lover that will never let you down. She favors a tough row, savors the character it builds. To Staley, going soft is as foolish as pants on a pig. It's a pet peeve, she acknowledges. Players show signs of weakness. I sometimes have to walk away because I don't understand, and you're not going to make me understand. You got cramps? You had a hard test today? She laughs. I know I can come off as being not empathetic. I have mean looks. Staley pulls an exaggerated grimace, laughs again. I just know how I would handle things, and it's wrong for me to project, but that's my mode. Her players can attest to that. If she tells me to do something on the court and I'm out of it, she really can't stand it, explains Wilson. She likes to yell. I could do something great, and she's still yelling. If she's not yelling at me, then I'm not doing something right. Second point guard, Taisha Harris. Staley is no tyrant. Her brain just can't compute not giving your all all of the time. There are those who don't suffer fools, and then there is Coach Don Staley, a woman downright allergic to nonsense. Most people, they work around conditions. She says the last word like she's spitting poison from her mouth. Staley is not hobbled by circumstance. She registers adversity the way a statue registers weather, impervious, impenetrable. It's a handy stratagem as she prepares to defend South Carolina's NCAA title this month, battling long odds, external criticism, and long-buried internal trials. Don tells people, when you disrespect the game, the game disrespects you, says longtime friend Angela O'Neill, a lawyer and the director of operations for Intersoul, the sneaker charity Staley co-founded. She really believes that. For Staley, coaching is akin to acting as a minister in the Church of Baal. It's a method and a mindset Staley has honed to unassailable excellence since her childhood in the Raymond Rosen Projects of Philadelphia, a hard-knock place she embraced. People that didn't live there would look in, think it was poor, trashy, she says. Staley felt differently. She's not trying to get out of North Philly. She was trying to inhabit, to grow where she was planted, a born point guard, sizing up and seizing on the resources around her and forging them into greatness herself included. We would make a crate court in the street between the buildings, she recalls. Cut out the bottom of milk crates and nail them to the light poles for a backboard. Then Staley would stay outside and shoot until she could no longer see the basket. I didn't even come into the house to eat. I'd go to the grocery store, get three chicken wings and some cheese fries. That way I could play longer. Clarence and Estelle Staley moved to North Philadelphia from South Carolina in the 1950s when they were still teenagers. They were married young and in 1967 moved into a three-bedroom, single-bath row house where they raised five kids. Three boys, two girls, the youngest, their daughter Dawn. I was a really good student because if I got good grades, my mom would let me play basketball. I feared my mother. She didn't spare the rod. I had parameters. 
Life lessons taught, Staley recalls, through beatings, extension cords, switches. We called them switches. Pick your switch. Pick your switch. Staley rarely suffered lashings, staying on the straight and narrow. I was really close to my mother, she says. Even as a kid, she welcomed order, discipline, since the long tale of personal responsibility. I'm thankful because the life lessons taught in my house, they stuck. My parents made me. My foundation is rooted in discipline. They gave me that. Her self-control was aided in part by her profound natural shyness. I don't think I'm normal. I'm socially inept. I still don't have very many friends. As a kid, I was really closed, quiet. I expressed myself through my game. I thought that should be enough for people to understand. On the project courts, Staley played only with the boys. I would take my basketball and say, you guys can't use my ball unless I'm in the game, she says. In the beginning, her pickup teammates would dismiss her, tease about how I need to be in a kitchen somewhere, that type of crap, like go put on a skirt. But then Staley would play and the comments would stop. I had to let them know that I was serious about what I was doing. Even from girlhood, Staley's seriousness was clear from space. At about 10 years old, she joined the police athletic league, traveling neighborhood to neighborhood, playing with the boys team. I consider myself one of the guys. That's where I learned my thick skin. In middle school, she received her first letter of college interest from an Ivy League school, her soon-to-be-storied future unfolding before it had even begun. In short order, she became USA High School Player of the Year, going on to lead three Final Four teams at the University of Virginia, then three Olympic gold medal teams, receiving her first gold in 1996 in Atlanta at age 26. After playing eight pro seasons for Houston and Charlotte and being an all-star six times, Staley ranks fifth overall in career assists per game and was named by the WNBA as one of its 15 most influential players of all time before reluctantly entering coaching in 2000 on a virtual dare to save Temple's program. She did, becoming the then-winningest coach in the school's history. Staley was named the U.S. Women's National Team coach for 2017 to 2020, during the same season she led South Carolina to a championship, becoming the second African-American coach to coach a women's team to an NCAA title. Carolyn Peck coached Purdue to the 1999 title, and gave Staley a piece of her championship net, which she carried in her purse for years. Shortly after bringing home the NCAA trophy, Staley commissioned miniature replicas for every former player, coach, and teammate she'd worked with since high school, adding a plaque on the back engraved simply, Because of You. When she landed in Columbia in 2008, wooed from Temple by a fresh challenge, Staley made it a priority to involve the community in the game to make a team of the whole town, Philly style. Her her door was always open. Her phone never went unanswered. She worked to make people feel a part of something bigger than themselves, a part of victory. Her team mantra, we all we got, we all we need, reinforcing her intention to coach up rather than just import stars. Her efforts paid off. The Gamecocks fan base tripled over three seasons, and for 2016 to 2017 season, South Carolina led the nation in women's basketball attendance, averaging 12,277 per game. Enthusiasm will likely continue after the team snagged record fourth SEC championship this month. When introducing Staley as South Carolina's new head coach in 2008, then-athletic director Eric Hyman recited a list of her career accomplishments. 
It took him four and a half minutes. Still, South Carolina almost passed on Staley, her bashfulness a concern. Remembers friend O'Neill. It became a question of, look, do you want a coach that's going to go coach basketball, or do you want someone that's going to drink bourbon with the donors? If you want a basketball coach, you hire Don Staley. Staley shakes off any whiff of pride. I'm just a product of my neighborhood, she says. My head doesn't get too big. She pauses, glances around her office, evidence of achievement shoved in every nook and cranny. She clarifies that she's proud, but not prideful. Those university posters featuring her face as big as a car door, she walks right past them. I don't like the light shown on me. That's why I've never liked shooting free throws. I get lost in the dribbling and moving. I hated even taking a layup. She remembers her UVA coach pushing her to confront her introversion during a college rebounding drill in which players were required to shout rebound or I got it when they made contact with the ball. Try as she might, Staley couldn't utter the words. And coach said something like, oh, what? You think you're too good to talk? The charge cut deep. I never want to come off as being elitist. That's so far from who I am and where I grew up and just my existence. The next time, Staley yelled, rebound. Though she's grown in the 20 years since, Staley confides confides that every home game, when the Gamecocks emerge from the locker room through the tunnel to storm the court, her stomach still flips. She wishes it didn't. I'm indebted to the game. I owe basketball. I mean, look at me. But I started playing because I needed an outlet. I was extremely competitive, probably dangerously competitive. I didn't like losing, and some of that is still very well in me. Staley reaches down, lifts Champ to her lap, gives him a squeeze. At practice, Staley wears sweatpants and a black performance shirt. We are Gamecocks, screen printed down the spine. Her hair is pulled high and tight in a ponytail. Diamond hoops dangle from her ears. As she paces the court, she coughs repeatedly into her shoulder, nursing a bug she has neither the time nor the inclination to mention. She pops a Werther's butterscotch, shoves the wrapper into her pocket. During drills, Staley claps, points, yells, mimes calling a foul, hugs her arms across her chest like a sarcophagus. She shifts her weight from foot to foot, balls her fists, grinds her toes into the wood floor. Lord help us, she mutters after a missed block, her voice raspy, deep, like a long-lost member of TLC, like she's been shouting her whole life. No one thinks you're shooting the ball, she says, louder now. Come on, you gotta do better. The next drill, they do. That's not bad. That's not bad, Staley offers. High praise, sucking a second butterscotch. Walking off the court while the team runs laps, Staley checks out injured player Bianca Cuevas-Moore's manicure. Lee press-ons, she quips. Cuevas-Moore cuts her a goofy look, scrunches her forehead. They compare nails until Staley's attention shifts back to the court where Wilson has missed a shot after penetrating a screen to the basket. I don't mind that, Staley hollers. She'll take an error if the intention is right, preferring failed efforts to happy accidents, a loss that teaches to a victory they didn't earn. Staley is big picture that way, lessons for life. If the highlight of her players' lives is playing for her, even netting the national championship, then she will have failed. She wants to be a stepping stone, a building block, a launching pad. She nurses the roots, undistracted by the flowers. More than anything, Staley wants her girls to win the long game, not just those they play for her. It is this care and generosity that make her players, past and present, willing to follow her off a cliff. Sometimes she can be misperceived as edgy, 
says WNBA legend Tamika Catchings, who recalls observing teammate Staley at the 2002 World Championship. How she carried herself, always professional. Even with all the stars on that team, Catchings says, Dawn wasn't really worried about people liking her. A lot of people are concerned they are liked. People respected her for who she was. Catching also credits Staley with showing her how to lead. She made sure everybody felt important, but also that everybody did their job. She wrapped all of us under her arms. She said what was more important than my game was my heart off the court. Veteran all-star Shamiko Holdsclaw holds a similar memory of Staley from her time training with the USA basketball when Holdsclaw was just 24. The coach of the team said something to me to get in line, and it broke my spirit. She recalls, Don pulled me aside and said, just follow my lead. Like, let me help you. She taught me how to be receptive, to compete in a different way. I knew she was there for me every time I was on the court. I looked to her, and I wasn't worried about anything else. To be a good point guard is to be everything to every player. To intuit who needs what in any second. To be the cheerleader, the scold, the shrink, the drill sergeant, the big sister, the boss. Staley holds similar sway over her current charges, most of whom describe her as a second mom. You have to stay after them. Even when you know it's bothersome, Staley says of her players, I look at it as service to them. For their part, her players know that as tough as Staley is, she remains toughest on herself, and her loyalty is the stuff of legend. She was captain of the Olympic team, Holtzclaw says, but she was also the chick from your neighborhood, the girl from North Philly. Like she said, my name's not Dawn, it's Dawn, Holtzclaw chuckles. She knows the game, but she also knows life. You put those two together, that's powerful. Practice ends. On the way out of the stadium, Champ pees on the hallway floor. Staley drops her bag, quickly finds a roll of paper towels, mops it up. Back in her office, Staley refills his water bowl, then takes a seat on the couch. She says she's not working out as much as she used to. Swallows hard. Coughs into her palm. She decides she has something she wants to share. A secret she's largely kept to herself for the past 18 months. Not wanting to be a bother. Not wanting to cause alarm. The pain started in August 2016 at the Rio Olympics, she begins, before detailing a near year and a half of agony from mysterious, debilitating chest cramping that was eventually diagnosed as pericarditis, an inflammation of the lining surrounding the heart. At first, Staley found she couldn't exercise without doubling over. Reluctant to call attention to herself, she ignored the discomfort, pushed through. Then the episodes grew more frequent, more intense. I was ODing on Tylenol. It debilitated me. I'm in the bed. I can't move. It hurt to even try to get comfortable. Over the 2016-17 Gamecock season, Staley sneaked away to specialists, got checked for digestive issues, acid reflux, lupus. She visited a pulmonary doctor, got an endoscopy. Finally, I went to a specialist at the Cleveland Clinic, a cardiologist. We did an MRI, and they said, you have a classic case of pericarditis. The doctor said, we're going to put you in the hospital, O'Neill recalls, having traveled with Staley to the appointment for moral support. And Don's immediate reaction was, I'm not leaving my team. What's option B? In addition to the buckling pain, pericarditis sucks your energy, makes sound sleep nearly impossible. O'Neill remembers watching Staley at games, doubled over in her chair, coaching through the misery. The kids didn't know. No one knew. All she cared about was work.
Staley didn't even share with her family. I don't like to lean on them that way, she says. The prescription was rest. Staley was told she couldn't exercise, couldn't lift anything, not even her purse. She couldn't fly. Advice she shelved. During one episode at Louisville, her chest constricted so much she couldn't talk. At her next checkup, Staley's number's terrible. The doctor scolded her, warned her of permanent damage or worse. He recommended surgery. I told him we're right in the middle of the season, Staley says flatly. Instead, Staley took prednisone, gained 15 pounds, gutted out the illness, and won a national championship, never letting on that she'd done it while battling a crippling illness so pernicious that it left her breathless. She didn't want attention drawn away from the team. She didn't want to become the story. She didn't want to be seen as weak. The only reason I'm sharing this now is that maybe it will help someone else with the same problem, she explains. Though she will be vulnerable to flare-ups her whole life, the pericarditis is, as of last month, under control with medication and checkups every two weeks with her physician. I consider myself an odds beater. That's probably what I want on my tombstone. She says she'd like to be buried next to her mother in South Carolina. But make no mistake, I'm a Philly girl through and through. Later that night, Staley is the guest of honor at the Carolina Calls radio show, broadcast from the dining room of Wild Wing Cafe, a nearby sports bar. She arrives in a literal flash, running up at the last minute to rapturous applause. Staley takes the mic and explains that she was caught up at the Gamecock softball game versus North Carolina. I did my best to make it on time. On the way here, I even honked, she says, breathless, as the crowd cheers. The hour passes quickly, Staley answering questions from fans, posing for pictures, signing posters and balls during breaks. She speaks on strategy, gets granular, an unrivaled student of the game. Most of the callers are Southern men, good old boys, their respect palpable, deferring to her expertise. The show ends and Staley lingers, talking to diners, including a family that has driven three hours just to see her. She smiles at every visitor, meets his or her eye, listens to long-winded, down-home stories, and entertains dubious game theory without a flicker of impatience. Phone snap pictures and record video as Staley the Wallflower, a woman for whom two words is a long conversation, works the room like a bride. Every game day, Staley hangs an inspirational memo for the players. Tonight's against LSU reads in part, What we do is who we are, and Do not focus on the emotions of points, rebounds, and championships won. Focus on the people you are and how you will leave this place better than you found it. That is what legacy is. The evening's matchup is the Gamecock Senior Night, and emotions are at high tide, particularly for Asia Wilson, whose final appearance has occasioned an outbreak of her signature pearls draped over every seat and around Champ's furry neck. Coach is literally my rock, Wilson gushes, feeling the moment. Our bond is unbreakable. Staley, for her part, is keeping her sentiment under wraps, focusing on the task at hand, swallowing her anxiety about pregame photo ops with the mayor and other luminaries attending Wilson's send-off. She's dressed for the occasion in a cream-flared jacket, maroon lace blouse and flared pants, Louboutin ankle strap stilettos. Her glasses are mod black frames, her hair down, a picture of cool elegance, an image all the more striking given the news that broke an hour before tip-off that Staley is suing Missouri Athletic Director Jim Sterk for defamation. The suit, 
not to exceed $75,000 in damages, is about reputation, not money. After a volatile January 28th game at South Carolina, Stirk said in a radio interview two days later that Mizzou had players spit on and called the N-word by South Carolina fans, adding, I mean, it was not a good environment. And unfortunately, I think Coach Daly promoted that type of atmosphere. And it's unfortunate that she felt she had to do that. He repeated the allegations in an interview with 101 ESPN St. Louis on February 1st. A subsequent internal South Carolina investigation conducted by athletic director Ray Tanner showed no evidence that the fans had in fact done what Sturt claimed. A second SEC-led review is ongoing. Shortly after news broke of Staley's lawsuit, Sturk was fined $25,000 for making comments violating the conference's code of ethics. This is not the first time Sturk has accused a woman coach of unsavory behavior. In 2016, his prior employer, San Diego State, was forced to pay former women's basketball coach Beth Burns $3.36 million after losing a wrongful termination suit. Burns had flagged Title IX violations at the school. Sturk, then San Diego's AD, fired her, alleging he'd uncover abusive behavior towards subordinates despite Burns' excellent performance. For me, I had no choice, Burns told reporters after her victory. They were saying that I hit somebody, that I was a bad person, and I just couldn't live with at least not trying to clear my name. Staley feels the same. Her official comment on the case is a resolute no comment, but it's clear she believes that what Sturk did went beyond trash talking. He vilified the fans, which, although low rent, is hardly criminal. But when he put her name in his mouth, using it as a weapon to disparage not just a whole program, but also an entire life lived under the unforgiving glare of representation, well, that tipped not just into defamation, but also into her ability to execute her job. Says O'Neill, If I Google Don Staley at some point in five years and that statement isn't retracted, people are going to think that she has caused a mini riot at the basketball game. How does that sound to a prospect for recruiting? Moreover, O'Neill continues, Don is our Olympic coach. She is a three-time gold medalist. She carried the flag for our country. Little girls come up to her, want to be around her, just to touch her spirit. You can't find a flaw in her record. And people think she should just lie down and let this man insult her like that? O'Neill exhales, shakes her head. That's plantation mentality. Why are they complaining? They got to eat today. What Sturk did is tacky, adds Holdsclaw. He should apologize. The idea that Don would do anything like that is crazy. But that's how it is. You're always fighting. As a woman, as a person of color, it's always something. Recently, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster tweeted, Anything short of a full retraction and apology from SEC and Mizzou is an insult to every South Carolinian. Don Staley is a gold medal role model for our daughters and sons. We stand with Don. Echoing popular opinion, outside of Missouri at least, that firmly favors Staley. Even so, there are those who see the suit as petty, small, pointless, ill-conceived, girly. A battle Staley shouldn't fight and can't win. Those people miss the point. My story is a beacon of hope for someone who looks like me, who grew up like me, to help them, you know, see what they can, Staley explains. Sturk tried to dim that light, and that Staley will not abide. Tonight, though, during the game versus LSU, Staley, who labors herself a master compartmentalist, is focused only on the 94 feet in front of her. 
Watching from the bench, she registers every disappointment. Even as the Gamecocks are up 10, Staley sighs, drops her head, her mind a computer that can't quit logging data. When Lily Grissett comes off the court, Staley warmly pats her arm as she passes, never taking her eyes off the game. During a timeout, she takes a dry erase pen to the playboard as if carving wood. Soon enough, the Gamecocks win 57-48. After the game, Staley directs all media questions about the lawsuit to her attorney. She says that the team wasn't good today, that it's back to the drawing board. Media obligations done, she huddles in the dimly lit hallway with Wilson's parents, smiling and marveling at how far they've come. Back home, Staley often sorts laundry to calm her mind. I fold like I work at the Gap, she jokes. I got that from my mother. I can do a fitted sheet straight out of restoration hardware. Staley is in the middle of a small renovation, building out the attic as a master closet for her clothes and shoes, which she keeps neatly labeled in boxes with Polaroids on the front. I'm very impulsive, she says of her shopping habit. Prada, Balenciaga, Gucci, Tom Ford, Louboutin. All save for game days and recruiting, a facet of the job she has recently made peace with. When you're recruiting, they want you to show the perfect scenery, she says. Staley is not about the shiny cell. I'm completely honest. You're going to come to South Carolina because you feel who I am. Honest, uncensored me. South Carolina has already lost two top recruits to UConn this year, including number one, Kristen Williams, and number five, Olivia Nelson Ododa. Staley doesn't linger on the lost hopes. She's a point guard. She'll take the ingredients she has and make gumbo to die for. Most coaches, they tell you what you want to hear to get you there, Taisha Harris says. But with her, it was real. Coach told me it was going to be a struggle. Nothing is going to get handed to you. But when the time comes, you're going to be one of the greats. Sooner or later, basketball is going to stop, Harris continues. And I feel like when it does, she'll help me wherever I want to be. Staley sees the big picture enough because she has to. Women can't expect greatness to be enough. So they look ahead. They go long. They pitch themselves into the future, one hand behind them, pulling other women up. I know this woman who wrote the families of every person that died in 9-11, Staley says. She wrote over 3,000 personal, handwritten letters. That hits me in places where most people can't touch. The next day at work, Staley and Champ make the rounds before settling into her office. When asked what she does for fun, Staley mentions riding her motorcycle, attending South Carolina softball games. In the stands, Staley observes the workers who mind the field, watching as they spray the turf, paint the lines. The precision moves her, fills her with stirring appreciation. On a small table among water bottles, work folders, and dog treats, rests the memorial booklet of her mother's passing in August at 74 years old. In it, nestled between joyful, tight photos of Staley and her siblings huddled around Estelle, is the Maya Angelou poem, When Great Trees Fall an ode to the loss of souls that matter, the yawning space left when lions leave this earth. They existed, Angelou writes in the final lines, of legacy of what remains of a life lived right. They existed. We can be, be and be better, for they existed. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Allison Glock, who has filled out her brackets and is ready to roll. Allison, thank you for coming. Hi, thank you for having me. Getting right into it, um, Dawn, Dawn Steele, she seems to have all the makeup of countless other champions that we've heard about. Where, what I mean by that is 
a relentless like what's next drive that is almost impossible to turn off. Now, when you talk about how she took over the Temple program almost on a dare, in your words, like when did she realize that this was next, that coaching was her next thing? I would say it's because of the reasons you just speculated about, that she likes to be challenged. And once she has achieved pretty much you know the highest echelon you can achieve in, in whatever category, um, she's hungry to be you know, forced to do something <laughs> that's new. Um, and she, she was very frank about not wanting to be a coach. It, it was not on her radar. It wasn't something um, that she longed to do or considered herself necessarily even qualified to do. And, and it wasn't about the X's and O's so much as sort of managing, you know, all the players um, and feeling like that might have been, a, you know, a bridge too far for her. And it wasn't until folks were basically saying, well, I guess you can't do it, or I guess it's something you wouldn't be able to do. And she's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe I can. Um, and now I feel like she's really settled into the pocket, uh, obviously, of coaching and um, has found you know a real purpose in it that she didn't expect. Now, also you mentioned with her style that uh, being soft or distractions are something that she really has no patience for, or as you said pretty perfectly allergic to nonsense. Do you find that though managing uh, women of this age that, uh, that she might need to adjust to that as she goes on? Like, is there, it seems that everyone that plays with her and for her is deeply committed to not doing their job more, but not letting Don Staley down. But is there a breaking point? Do you think with that, where this allergic allergy to nonsense could come back to sort of hurt her approach? Well, I mean, no. I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding as far as that goes. Um, and, I, and that loyalty that you mentioned, you know, I think only serves only serves a team. And it's not fear-based. You know, it, I mean, they joke around, you know, that she's, a, she's scary and she's a big yeller and um, all of that. But it's really more about respect and, you know, carrying herself as, as a model of, of a way to be in the world versus intimidation tactics or like a Bobby Knight school of thinking. It's so, it's so not that. Right. It, it's really far more about encouraging her players to recognize what's great about themselves and then to do the work required to capitalize on that greatness. You know, it's one thing to realize, hey, I'm really good at this, but I'm not going to put the effort in. And, you know, as you mentioned, like Coach Daly is not about not putting in the effort. Right. Now, one of the things that um, one of her friends quotes that Don frequently says is you disrespect the game, the game disrespects you. Now, when you say the game, it seems that her approach is how much she loves basketball, but how much is that quote more about life than not just actually basketball? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a small observation. It's very much does extend to all parts of the game. And, and one of the most profound things I, I learned reporting this story was that if, if her players, if, if this is a highlight of their lives, it's playing for her, then she will feel like she, she failed them. You know, she really wants to prepare these women, um, young women, for a future beyond, you know, in their careers, you know, figuring out who they are, and how they can give back to their communities. Like that is so, you know, top of mind for, for Dawn, mm -hmm. um, in a way that I did, I haven't seen that so much with other coaches to be frank. 
you know, they're very much focused on seasons and games and legacy. And, and for Dawn, the real legacy is what these women do after they leave her. Now, uh, one of the characters in your story is Dawn's new dog, Champ. It, yeah. <laughs> it seems to be the one thing that can slow her down, even for a moment. And it sounds like it has all the makings of not a companion, but falling more into the category of a therapy dog. That might be a little bit of a reach, but yeah, I mean, it's funny because she had fostered a dog before Champ, you know, just, you know, how that often happens, the dog falls into your world and you're, you didn't ask for it. Um, and it was exposure to that, that pet, you know, temporarily that she's like, maybe I need a dog in my life. And so that's when Champ was introduced. Um, and she loves that dog. That dog goes everywhere with her. Um yeah, I don't know if I would call it a therapy dog, but it's definitely um, you know a funny side character. I'll give you that. It's one of like, like those uh, those magnets that people put in the back of the car that say "Who rescued who?" Right. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so as we as uh, also in your stories, we tell the story that we didn't know at the time uh, all this was going on last year and their run to the you know to the national title that Coach Daly's health, that inflammation on her heart, the pericarditis uh, mm-hmm. that she was suffering through. And it, yes, it's the good part of the story is that it is very much under control now when she gets her checkups. But um, as someone who, to achieve the, exe- the success that someone from a basketball playing and then coaching career like Don Staley has, you had to have been focused from the day you started shooting on milk crates and the Philadelphia projects to the present. So, now that she's had to tap her foot a little bit off the gas to deal with this, what kind of perspective do you feel that that whole, her personal health episode has brought her? Um, well, I think it, you know, if I had to speculate, it would be that she's not, she's not invincible. And, you know, that's a lesson a lot of us learn as we get older um, and age out of our, you know, twenties and thirties is that we start to realize that, you know, we can't control everything as much as we'd like to think we can. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really, I think it was humbling for her. Um, And I think it was really, really challenging um, mostly because she didn't, you know, as you said, she didn't share this information with anyone. She didn't tell the players. She, um, she did tell some of her team, but only because she had to. Um, And, you know, that was because she felt it was, you know, an annoyance and a distraction so even then, she wasn't fully getting the lesson, you know, as she was going through it. But I think now when she's reflecting back, she's realizing, like, you know, like I said, there's just some things that are beyond our control. And, and certainly, you know, when we all have health issues pop up, it's, it is a very humbling experience. You're like, oh, I see. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the master of the universe that I thought I was. Yeah. As, we've, um, as many of us learn when you wake up, I didn't do anything yesterday, but why does this hurt? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I don't think she was really, she certainly wasn't eager to tell me about it. Um, but she was motivated, like you said, because it's under control, but also she really, you know, she really thinks it can help other people. Um, and again, that's her driving force, um, is helping other people and in whatever capacity. I think that's the only reason she talked about it. Otherwise I don't think she would have ever told anyone. So it's sort of like the classic Don Staley. I'm doing this to teach you, not really for you to feel bad for me. Exactly. Exactly. So through all this, though, uh, she seems with each passing year, like she's building her family, you know, team after team, as she brings in more women into the uh, South Carolina fold. 
But outside of our dog, we really, or, or talking about, like, I watch them line the fields and I go to the softball games at, at South Carolina. Uh, we really don't know anything more about the life of Dawn Staley than, well, we, I know she likes, I learned from your piece that she likes expensive shoes. But <laughs> is this part of her being shy or being the person that, like, wouldn't yell rebound when her coach asked her to be at Virginia? Or is it sort of, her balance is my basketball life is my basketball life, and that is all I'm going to really let you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't feel like she's um, – there weren't boundaries like that necessarily. What I think is um, that she is so committed to the team and the game and has been since she was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, a child, um, and that that has been her main source of support and, you know, in a weird way, her main relationship Um and it's not that I, you know, I don't think that, I mean, she definitely has a nice core group of friends, but it is small. Um, you know, she's just, yeah, she is shy. Um, she's not quick to trust people. Um, and that's fair, you know, given, you know, her circumstances. And so I feel like she just keeps her, you know, her little tight crew that she rolls with and, and knows, you know, some of the women that I interviewed who have played for her, are in that circle that have known her 20 plus years now, you know, Mm -hmm. so once you're sort of in the circle, you're in it. Um, And then everyone else, she's not that interested in. And I, you know, there were some nice quotes, you know, from some of the former players that she isn't worried about having people like her and she isn't worried about sort of collecting friends and, you know, seeming like she has this larger than life existence. She's so hyper focused on being true to who she is, true to her, you know, core friends and then true to the game. Right. Well, she. So that's, you know, yeah. That, no, I was also going to say is, is part of that focus is she talks about how she can compartmentalize things, and one of the moments is is senior night for Aja Wilson, mm-hmm. and you know here's a woman who helped deliver a national title to to not just South Carolina but to Don Staley's resume, and she really is able to just focus on the game and not let in saying, I'm going to save the emotions for later. I mean, does she know how to do that? I mean, does she, she knows how hard it is to win it all, but is she able, is she able to appreciate what she's doing while it's happening? Um, that's a good question. And I don't, I don't think so. And, but, and I think that's a common thing with champions. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've been in ESPN for a really long time. I've interviewed, you know, NFL quarterback, you name it. And there is this pattern where when you're in the moment and when you're collecting your accolades and, and making your ascension to greatness, that you're, you're sort of tabling that. You know, it's sort of off in the corner. Um, and it's only either upon retirement. Sometimes I'll speak to people after they've retired or, you know, on retrospectives, and they, they'll be looking at their trophy case or whatever. And it's almost seems like a dream. I mean, I've had more than one athlete tell me, did I really do that? Did I win the national championship? Did I win a Super Bowl title? Like it, it sort of recedes mm-hmm. um, in the moment and it only comes back later and it, it, it almost feels surreal, you know? Right. I think that's a common quality with super high achievers in this, you know, in this realm. I do. Right. Well, in uh, another uh, story that came out as part of what in your profile is uh, the lawsuit that mm. was filed in regards to the accusation, without getting into all the details, the accusations are made that uh, not only were uh, some racial epithets used by South Carolina fans, but more specifically that it was an environment that Coach Don Staley fostered, encouraged, whatever 
whatever was basically inferred. Now, she's being measured by every other coaches, by wins or losses. But in this one, this matchup, it seems that it's her character that she is fighting for. How much more important is that to her than any of these wins or losses? Oh, it's it's everything. It's everything. Um, you know, it's all tied together, but it starts from character, mm-hmm. um, especially for a woman like like Dawn. And you know, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, I think that went over the line. And I, I I know the one thing she did mention as well is that she was really upset about how it painted the fans, you know, the Gamecock fans. Like that was something that was very troubling to her. Right. Um, and she, she felt like a, like she wanted to defend, you know, her team and, and her fan base. So it's more part of uh, what you have pointed out earlier, how she's sort of a mother to everyone and sort of by taking care of everyone, she's sort of created, she's unintentionally because she's not trying to, created this persona for herself that is sort of above all this. No, I mean, like, like that sounds, you know, above all this sounds negative. And no, I, I mean, above I all think... this, that like, this is like, she would not stoop to anything. Like it's like her standard that she's putting on everyone else basically paints the standard for herself. Right. To put it differently. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess so. I just don't think that she will abide, um, you know, someone who takes an opportunity to tear down the house that she has built. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fair. And, you know, I think if it had just been standard trash talk, that there, this wouldn't have happened. There would be no lawsuit right? at all. But, you know, this, this could affect recruiting. You know, this becomes something that's passed around and, and is a stain possibly on the fan base. You know, and all of that, and, and none of it's been proven, by the way, um, and I will say that the strongest reactions I got, you know, even from some of the, quotes that don't make it into the final piece, but from her, you know, the team members and, and former players, et cetera, mm-hmm. is that it's just absurd. You know, someone like Don, who's like so upstanding and so by the book, and, you know, so straight edge, like it's just absurd that like she would be fought, you know, to them, that was just the most inconceivable thing you could have said that she would fought, allow her program to be in any way, not just a bastion of like respect and dignity. Did you find any, in your reporting, did you find any coaches on both sides of it or any, any people like actually involved in actively like on the coaching side of basketball that that couldn't believe that this she was accused of this or some that yeah. actually or that some that actually believed it? Yeah, no, no one. I didn't. I, I, you know, and I didn't spend a ton of time on it because, you know, this is a soup to nuts profile and I didn't want this to be the whole Sure. You know, Kit, but I spoke to a lot of folks about it, and honestly, I was unable to find anyone that was like, well, maybe. You know, there wasn't even a, mm, could be. <laughs> not even a, yeah, not even a pause. That speaks volumes. No, no. And yeah. that's not how she runs her runs the show. That's not, you know, if maybe, maybe some fans acted badly. Again, there's been no evidence of that, but let's say right. someone, you know, that's one thing. But then to say that you were cultivating that environment, um, that's a different thing. And and that's that's the part that's so profoundly absurd to so many people who've been involved with her. They're like, she carried the Olympic torch. Like, she represented our entire country. Right. You she, know what I mean? And, last time, <laughs> and, and she's also a person of color, so I really don't think she's going to advocate for anything no. like that to be said. Yeah, that's, yes. 
It's absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah. All its phase is ridiculous. The logic yeah. police are having a lot of hard times with this. Good. Yeah, they should. <laughs> so the quote she uses before the LSU game, you know, she brings out a lot of, as you point out, she brings out like a quote for all the games is um, focus on the people you are and how you will leave this place better than when you found it. That's what legacy is. What do you feel that mm-hmm. Don, Don Staley's legacy will be? Wow. You know, to me, um, the fact that she exists and is so visible is profound to people. And, um, you know, she, you know, she talks about being a beacon of hope for people who look like her and, and, you know, were raised the way she was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's true. And I think that's what she's been from the beginning, you know, she started collecting titles and, and breaking records, et cetera, you know, as a kid, like we said, and, um, she has been consistent and she has gone higher and higher and higher. And it's just, just to see someone like her in the world, you know, if you're a girl of color and if you're a girl of color in a, in a, you know, impoverished neighborhood or in a trying circumstance to be able to look on your television and see Don Staley, you know, have this authority and this position of power, you know, to be, you know, excelling on every front is, it's, it is a beacon of hope. It truly is. And that to me is the legacy is that she is, you know, she reaches behind and pulls people up with her. Um, and that's not about basketball. It could have been anything. It just happens to be basketball, you know, but she's a force and, and, you know, that's, that's what I think she wants her legacy to be. And, and I, and I think she's doing that. Well, that is full of praise. How do you think Don would actually describe what she wants her legacy to be? <laughs> um, I think she'd say something similar, but with less, you know, less ego, obviously. I mean, she's, she's incredibly self-effacing and, and humble and gets very shy um, about what she's done. You sort of have to death march her to it and say, Hey, look, there's some Olympic jerseys over there <laughs> where you won three gold medals. You know, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, she, like you were, you know, were mentioning earlier, she sort of puts that aside. That was then. And we're focused on now in the future. Um, and like I said before, I really think she, she, for example, they have a mentorship program with the team mm-hmm. and she pairs all of the players with female professionals in the area who are lawyers or FBI agents or businesswomen. Um, so that they see what's next. You know, I think that's really important to her that this keeps going and that everybody keeps going. You know, it's like that like Asia Wilson has a quote where she says the most important thing Coach Daly says to her is just go, just go, just go. And that's about basketball, but it's also very much about life. One final question, Allison. Who wins the uh, NCAA tournament, the women's tournament for this case? Well, totally them. Her. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know, but I will, I would be lying if I didn't say I was rooting for coach Daly all the way, honestly. And, you know, I lived in Tennessee. I lived in Knoxville for a long time and, and I know, and I have friends that played there and, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But in this moment, I am feeling the coach Daly love. So I'm going to roll with that. Well, it's hard not to root for her. Right? Exactly. Allison, (laughs) thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Bye.
Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.